Amen. Open your Bible with me this morning to Luke chapter 2. I want to look at uh, Simeon's story, and uh, we'll read some verses together here in just a moment. The context for this story, the background revolves and rests upon the obedience of Mary and Joseph. This young married couple, new parents now are doing what God commanded them to do. And so I invite you to read with me in Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 21. Now, this is the context. This is the background for Simeon's story, verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. I invite you to pray with me. Father, we're reminded that all scripture is inspired by you and is given for our profit, for teaching us doctrine, for reproof, rebuking us when we need rebuke, and for correction, to rectify and to bring us to your standards that we might be completely equipped for all of your purposes. We're asking you through your spirit and through the ministry of your word to achieve those things in us today. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So leading up to this story of Simeon, Dr. Luke provides two pictures of Mary and Joseph's obedience. The first is found in verse 21. There, this picture is uh, put together. It's a picture of timing, how... After Mary gives birth, the Bible says when Jesus is eight days old, she and Joseph bring this infant according to the law to one of the priests to assist them in two things. The first is to have their son circumcised. The rite of circumcision was established in Genesis chapter 17. Uh, God speaks to Moses when he is 99 years of age and he is circumcised as well as every male who comes into the ranks and any other males who are adopted in are all circumcised. Circumcision was a covenant sign of ushering babies, males, especially the law said when they were eight days old, to bring them into the community of God's people. That's what brought them in. Now, in the New Testament, the rite of circumcision has been replaced by what? Do you remember? Circumcision has been, thank God, right, <laughs> has been replaced by baptism. And baptism is a far more inclusive rite than circumcision because baptism allows women, females, to come into the community as well as all non-Jews. And so baptism achieves and provides the opportunity, the individuals to stand and confess Jesus as Savior and Lord, but that's not all that we do when someone is baptized. That person who stands publicly in, 
and follows Christ through the waters of baptism is also publicly submitting themselves and entering into the community, into the body of Christ, into God's people. I'm not sure we emphasize that enough. It's more than just an individual confession. It brings them into the community. So Jesus is circumcised. Mary and Joseph bring him into the temple, keeping the law, bringing him into the community of God's people. And then second, the Bible says Jesus is named. Yeshua, the Old Testament from Joshua, one who will save. And so Mary and Joseph, out of obedience, they break tradition. So how did they break tradition? Well, the tradition was that he should be named Joseph. That was his father. You remember also when God uh, tells Zacharias and Elizabeth they're going to have a son, and people marvel that, he's, that Zechariah doesn't name him Zechariah. He names him John, breaks tradition. They named Jesus, this baby Jesus, breaking again tradition, bringing him into the community of faith. This name Jesus because conveyed one who would save them from their sins. And so God had it right, didn't he? He selected Mary and Joseph to serve right from the start, knowing that this young couple would be faithful to raise the Son of God. And it's always refreshing to see a man, to see a woman, whether single or married, young or old, it's always refreshing to see those who are determined to honor God with their lives, serving Christ with devotion, by faith, being submissive to him and his word and centering their relationship and all relationships on Christ. Related to this point, I was uh, reading and went over, continued to read in Luke and got over to the fourth chapter and the Bible describes Jesus living now, being raised in his home in Nazareth and that's, again, that's where he grew up and, and later he launches his public ministry from that place and some of you are familiar with this verse in Luke 4 verse 24 where it says, and to all those who knew him, no prophet is accepted in his own home. No prophet is accepted in his own country. Or some translations say a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. Then in verses 25 and 27, through those verses, there's an example of what Jesus is trying to convey. And Jesus says to his home folks, he says, do you remember that during the days of Elijah and Elisha, there were lots of widows and there were lots of sick folks? But then Jesus says to this home crowd, but he says, remember, only one woman, the widow at Zarephath, and only one man, Naaman, Gentile, ever received anything from God during those days. And what Jesus said made his community, his home community where he grew up, made them very angry because he was making the point, and they understood the point, that very Few people determine this kind of faith in God that is needed for full obedience. The Bible says later in Hebrews 11, without which is impossible to either receive anything from God or to please God. And so the first picture is Mary and Joseph submitting themselves to God's word, to the law. They have Jesus when he's eight days old, circumcised, and they give him the name that they're supposed to give him. And then is the second picture in verses 22 through 24. 
After Mary or any woman gave birth to a child, the law classified her as ceremonially unclean. And therefore, the Bible says, according to the law, she was required to go through a purification process. And let me read to you where that's found in the Bible. It's in Leviticus 12. And so listen to what the law says. This is what Mary's doing. And God said to Moses, speak to the children of Israel, saying, if a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. Then on the eighth day, the flesh of the male's foreskin shall be circumcised. And she shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean, not seven days, but two weeks as in her customary impurity, and then she shall continue in the blood of her purification 66 days. And when the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then he, the priest, shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who has born a male or a female. And if she's not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a burnt offering and the other as a sin offering. And then the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. The point is going through this prescribed process, bringing forth the prescribed sacrifice, it removed the stain that the law had placed upon her. It was wiped away through the sacrifice. And they would present their son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as a gift from God and would dedicate themselves as parents to raising that child to be holy unto the Lord. It's similar to what we do as a church community. Whenever a mom or a dad participate in a child dedication, they are expressing praise unto God for their son and daughter as a gift from the Lord. And then they are devoting themselves as parents to be stewards, faithful to raise that child, that son, that daughter unto the Lord. And so the context providing the background for the story of Simeon is that God chose Mary and Joseph knowing that they would be devoted to Christ, or devoted to God, devoted to keeping his commands. That's the context that leads to the story of Simeon. So now read with me in Luke 2, starting at verse 25 for the rest of the story. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, 
Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And for a sign which will be spoken against, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. If you have your Bible, keep it open with me and notice first in verse 25, there's a man, Simeon, living in Jerusalem. The origin of that name is from the Old Testament Hebrew, pronounced uh, Simeon, and it means to hear and to be heard. That's what it literally means. And it always refers, that name, to one who has a good reputation, which is exactly how the Bible describes Simeon. Luke records three things about Simeon's reputation, all conveying one point. He has good character, good character. Notice in the Bible, it says he is just. That literally means to be equitable in character. Someone who is above reproach, striving to live a holy life, one who is set apart for God, who also cares about justice and what is right, is especially as it pertains to the treatment of other people. He's just. The Bible says he is devout, which literally means well done. Devout, well done. It describes the person who seizes every opportunity in life to do their very best, to do that which is well done as a way of honoring God. And so, just and devout, above reproach, always trying to do his best to honor God. Kind of that eukario word where we get devout kind of reminded me when I was a boy growing up and was in Cub Scouts for a while and then transitioned to Weeblows. Anybody remember Cub Scouts and Weeblows? Do, do any of you remember the Cub Scout promise? I, Charles Davis, promise to do my best, to do my duty to God and my country, to help other people at all times, and to obey the law of the pack. That was a Cub Scout promise. It was from from being devout. Simeon was just, he was devout, he was a man living in Jerusalem who possessed good character. He tried to live his life in a way that would honor God and cared about how other people were treated and wanted to take advantage of every opportunity that he had in life to do his best and everything to honor God. And then Luke doesn't end there, then he adds, and the Holy Spirit was upon him which was a sign, was evidence of God's favor, God's anointing. Spirit was upon him. And again, God-like character when, when this Holy Spirit is upon us. I don't want to take just a moment and make a few positive comments applying this to us and to also provide a bit of commentary that I think would be applicable for our church regarding just and devout and 
Holy Spirit being upon your life and having good character, good character. I believe that historically, as Christians and churches, most all Baptist churches, and that's my background, that's what I'm most familiar with, is Baptist churches. I believe that we've been very sincere, but sometimes sadly misguided by unfortunate interpretations of the Bible that over time become our tradition. When, for example, we select or call out persons in the church to serve in leadership roles. Sadly, while sincere, I believe that we've been biblically misguided. And we've singled out some things, some specifically a past sin in that person's life, a past sin in that person's life, and have elevated that particular sin above all other sins. You think we've ever done that as Baptists, Baptist churches? I believe we have. For example, when most Baptist churches have gone through a selection process for a man or a woman to step into a leadership role, and one might be as a deacon, and we go to Paul's epistles, to the letters to the churches, which is a good thing, and yet the Bible never tells us to select men and women who possess a sinless past, does it? Do you know any of those? Unfortunately, as sincere and well-intentioned as we've been, and that's what we've done. We've picked one particular sin, elevated that sin above all other sins, and said leaders in the church are eligible, to, are eligible to serve in these roles as long as they've never committed that one sin. They can commit any other sin, all kinds of sins. They could get a DUI. They could be convict, convicted of fraud. They could go through financial issues and ruin. They could have an anger issue, a temper issue. They could abuse their wife. They could commit a felony. They could even murder someone and still serve in a leadership role in our church as long as they've not committed that one particular sin. And I believe the Bible is very clear when selecting persons to serve in leadership roles in our churches that you look for one thing. Not people who have had sinless pasts. You look for people who today have good character. Good spiritual character. Look for men and women who like Mary and Joseph and Simeon possess good character. Do you think that Mary was sinless? Do you think Joseph was sinless, Simeon, Zacharias? They're not, they didn't have sinless people. But God knew they had good character. If you go to Acts chapter 6, when they selected deacons, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, and all of those lists describe persons who have good character. The Bible says, find people who are just. That's what it says. Find people who are devout. Find people who are full of the Spirit. Find people who possess wisdom. Find people who are mature. They're not recent converts. Find people who are reverent, who are sober-minded. Find people who don't have an alcohol problem. Find people who don't have uncontrollable tempers. Find people who are enjoying a good marriage. Find people who are devoted to their spouse and their family and have an orderly home. 
Look for men and women who are dependable and honest and godly and have de devoted and demonstrated consecration to Christ. That's, I'm just quoting what the Bible says you're looking for in persons who lead in your church. Look for those who have godly, Christ-like character. And in all of those lists, you'll find a recurring, a recurring quality above reproach blameless, beyond repute, a good testimony. All of those lists begin and end with blameless, above reproach. It's describing men and women who have good spiritual character. That's what God calls, and that's what God does when he selects everybody around the Christmas story in the Bible. But that's not what we've always done. Again, we've singled out one specific sin, one failure in people's past, and we ask, has that man, has that woman ever failed in that one area? And if they have, they've missed the mark regarding that one past sin, and they're disqualified for life. That's what we've done. And they can serve in any other leadership area, but I believe that that approach is totally out of step with the gospel and it's totally out of, out of step with God's grace. It contradicts 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man, any woman is in Christ Jesus, what? They are brand new, old things. Their past is behind them and they're new in Christ Jesus. You see, when, when we elevate one sin above other sins and say that sin disqualifies someone from being used of God, it's contrary to the Bible. It never allows them to rebuild your character. It never allows them to recover their name and their reputation. Totally contrary to the scriptures. And think about this. It also makes no sense to me that the only leadership role in the Bible that we find in the New Testament that carries a warning with it is found in James 3. Do you know what it is? James 3 verse 1. It's a warning. It's the only leadership position in the church. It says, let not many of you serve as teachers, because if you do, you will face a stricter judgment. And so consider this. The most serious leadership position role in Hillcrest Baptist Church is not a deacon. It's teaching. Those who handle the word, those who divide the word, who minister the word. And yet we have no sin that in their past that would disqualify a man or woman from holding that leadership role. And so we do that when it comes to serving as a deacon. That's what we've done in the past, well-intentioned. Hillcrest, God is not searching to save men and women who have sinless pasts, as if only good people can be saved, because the fact is there are no good people with sinless pasts. Think about this, Old Testament, in the Old Testament, Moses was a murderer, right? He was a murderer, and he went on to marry, to have a family, to come to know God, and to grow in his relationship with God, to grow in his faith, and became the greatest leader in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And yet he was a murderer, and God used him. But it's a good thing he wasn't divorced. Those children of Israel might still be in bondage. When you travel by air... And you go through that TSA area and you walk through those metal scanners. You know what I'm talking about? If you got any metal on you, it goes off. I've always thought, what if to the entrances of our worship area, we were to put and develop and put in place a sin scanner? A sin scanner and ask everyone before you come into the worship place, you walk through that sin scanner. 
Guess what? I wouldn't be standing behind this pulpit this morning. And I'm pretty sure our crowd today would be pretty thin, pretty light. Would you do something for me? Some of what I'm saying may be different to some of you and, and maybe not according to your tradition in your past. And I understand that. And I want to be respectful. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful at all. But I want to ask you to do something. Would you at least go back through the Bible and think about what I'm saying? Good character. Does this man, does this woman have good character Good favor, good testimony, good reputation beyond repute with other people today, even if they've missed the mark in their past. Isn't the issue for you and I being used of God the same as it was for Zachariah and Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph and Simeon? To have good spiritual character. Isn't that what God's looking for? Isn't that what we're looking for in the church? And let's not force the Bible to say things that it doesn't say and to read things into it. And let's not single out one certain disqualifying sin above every other sin. And by God's grace, let's all of us strive to live just, devout lives before God. Simeon was blessed by God. He was just, he was devout, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He possessed good spiritual character. And let me close with just pointing out three things about his life. Number one, he believed God's promise. Look at verse 25. He believed God's promise. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And in verse 26, the Bible says, provides some additional insight how the Holy Spirit was working in his life. It says the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon a message. The Holy Spirit speaks to him and, and says, you will not die, Simeon, before you see the Christ, the Messiah. Now, we don't know exactly how those details came to Simeon. We don't know how it was revealed, but it's clear that he has received a message and he knows it. Verse 25, you will see the Messiah, the, this one who will bring consolation to Israel, meaning solace and comfort. Simeon's story is he believed God's promise through the entire Christmas story. That's what the Bible keeps repeating. And the angel said, and the angel said, and there was messages from God being delivered to all these different people, to the shepherds and the magi and to Joseph and Mary and Elizabeth and Simeon and Elizabeth. And you just, all of these messages are being delivered. The Bible says that you and I worship a God who in times past spoke to the fathers by and through the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. God took initiative, sent his son to reveal him to us so that we might know God and enjoy a relationship with him. He's provided us with the Bible, his word, and we might hear his voice. Jesus said in John 10, my sheep know me, they hear my voice, and they follow God is faithful to still today speak through his word. And the challenge is to be like Simeon and to believe what God said. I, I heard this a long time ago. Someone say this, said, you know, there, there are some difficult passages in the Bible, but, but most of the Bible is pretty straightforward. Most of it is easy to understand. The greater challenge is to believe it, to believe what it says. Second, Simeon not only believed God's promise, but he held, beheld God's provision. Look at verse 27 and 28. And so Simeon, having received the message and believing and trusting what God said, he's doing two things. First, in verse 27, he's serving as a priest in the temple. And second, he is waiting. Hey, Simeon, 
How you doing today? I'm well, thank you for asking. And Simeon, what are you doing today? Are you busy? No, not so much. I have a small to-do list. I think I've got to offer a couple sacrifices for some new parents as they go through the purification process and present their little Johnny or Susie to the Lord. But for the most part, things are kind of slow, kind of calm. Most of the day, I'm just going to be waiting. Oh, yeah, what are you waiting for, Simeon? Well, I'm waiting to see the Messiah, the Christ. I've been waiting a long time, day after day. In fact, every day, just waiting on God. But God promised me that I would not die until I had seen him. Simeon's story is one of serving the Lord, being faithful to do what he knows to do, and it's proven to be good advice to me over the years. I think it would be for you as well. When there are times in your life when you're not sure how God is working, when you don't know how and why things are occurring the way and you're not sure how God might be leading you, then just continue to do the things that you know to do. Do the things that you're sure of. There's no shortage of that. And then trust him to lead and to provide you as you move forward. You remember the Proverbs 3? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your steps, your paths. You and I can't know the future. It's only natural to think and wonder about life and what's ahead. And we'll certainly have questions and some hopes. But like Simeon, we're much better off to believe his word and just to keep serving and doing the things that are right that we know to do. If someone were to ask you this morning, you go out to lunch and maybe someone to ask you, hey, what are the things that you are waiting on from God? What are the things that you're hoping to receive from God? How might you answer the question? What are you waiting for God to do in and through your life? What are you hoping that God achieves through your life? For me, I'm waiting on God to give me more and more of the desires of my heart. Psalm 37, 3 and 4, kind of my life verses. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and then the promise, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Sometimes we pull that out of context. Oh, the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. No, that's not what it says. Trust in the Lord and do what's right. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness and delight yourself in him. Not Ole Miss, not Mississippi State, not Michigan when they beat Georgia next Friday. <laughs> Don't delight in those things. Enjoy those things, but that's not where our delight is, right? We delight ourselves in the Lord, do what's right, Trust in him, rely upon him, and then what? Then he shall give you the desires of your heart. And you know what you'll find? That the things that you start desiring will be the same things that God desires. Your desires will start lining up with God's desires in your life. Simeon's story is one of believing God's word, serving and waiting. And finally, in verse 29, he was blessed with God's peace. He believed God's promise. He beheld God's provision, and he was blessed with God's peace. Finally, it happens in verse 27. Mary and Joseph, that was the context. 
out of obedience, come into the temple, and somehow Simeon knows there he is. There's the Christ. There's the Messiah, the one who will bring consolation to Israel. And the Bible describes his response in verses 28 through 32. He worships. Simeon knows this is the one. This is the promised one that he's been waiting to see. And in a nutshell, he worships. He receives the infant king, holds him in his arms, and cries out and says, God, I now have peace in my life. Shalom. Irene. Peace. Just like you said, over the years of my life in this world, I've gone through my share of trouble, but I am cheered because finally things have been made right between you and me. They're settled, and I'm at peace. And God, if you don't mind, I'm ready to depart. I'm ready to die. That's what Jesus does. He brings peace. Peace with God through the gospel by repentance, turning from our sins and placing our faith in Christ. We find peace with God and we also find peace within ourselves. How many of you can still remember before, maybe as an adult, before you were really, before you really surrendered your life to Christ, you really submitted to him, that you, you lack peace? Perhaps when you were alone by yourself, when you'd lay down at night, you knew that you weren't living for God, you weren't being faithful to him, and there was this unsettled spirit within inside you because there's no peace. The Lord Jesus Christ brings peace with God, brings us to a place where we can be at peace with ourselves, and it brings peace. He brings peace to those around us. You remember Isaiah, we sang about it, the choir. There is one coming who shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting God, Mighty Father, the Prince of Peace. Is your story like Simeon's? Have you surrendered your life to him, believing his promises? And if so, there's evidence of God producing good spiritual character in you. Godly character, maybe some of the past junk, maybe some of the crazy things that a lot of us did in our past that by his grace we're recovering from, moving forward from. Thank God. Isn't that the gospel? All of it's forgiven, all of it's cleansed, all of it's set behind us and we can rebuild, have good character and a good testimony before Christ. Have you beheld him as your savior and received the blessing, the provision God's peace, peace, it's only found through him. Let me pray with you.